literally most of the things you worry about never even manifest. So my message to the women out there listening is like, whatever you're worrying about, literally just trust the timing of your life and that the universe will like support you and bring you all the good that you want. Welcome to the Good Life Coach Podcast. I am your host, Michelle Lamoureux. The intention of this show is to awaken you to your fullest potential. Join me each week for inspiring interviews to elevate an area of your life, as well as interviews with women entrepreneurs who are creating success on their own terms. Each episode provides actionable tips to guide you to design a life you love. Hey there, it's Michelle and welcome back to the Good Life Coach Podcast. If you are new to the show, I'm so happy you are joining us today. I've got a great show lined up for you. Um, Before we jump in, I just want to ask, how are you all doing? I can't believe it's already May. I can remember when the year began and I felt all of that excitement that you feel in a new year where there's the possibilities, the hopes, the renewed energy towards goals and dreams. And I re- I just kept saying 2020 is going to be a great year. I just can't wait for this year. And then as we all experienced in March, things came to a halt. And this has been a surreal experience for all of us. And so for me personally, there have been moments of deep gratitude and joy in other moments of complete sadness and wanting things to be over and everything back to normal. And then I realized that the normal that's going to emerge out of this is likely to be different than what we're used to, at least for a while. And so right now we have the opportunity to take the time to think about what we will be doing next. What are we going to keep in our lives? What are we going to let fall away? What's really important to us? It becomes a reminder of just how precious our lives are and that we do have the opportunity to design a life that we do love and how really important that is for a happy and fulfilled life. It's also why I love to share examples of female entrepreneurs who are designing their lives because I feel like it serves as inspiration and it also just shows what's possible when you take action every day towards your dreams. And it doesn't mean that the road is easy and a straight line. And today's guest has a great story to share. Her name is Christia Donaldson, and she's the founder and CEO of a company called Thank God It's Natural. Her products are sold in Target, Whole Foods, Sally's Beauty, CVS, and Walgreens. Now, Christia has a really interesting story to share. She actually built this multi-million dollar company as a side gig. So she was working as an in-house counsel for a major software company for 10 years while building and scaling this company on the side. And she shares how a diagnosis at the very young age of 36 with breast cancer changed the trajectory of both her life and her business. It's just such an interesting story, but what's so great about Christia is that she shares so many great tips today, not only on how to grow a successful business, but also how to live a good life. I know you're going to love today's conversation, so let's get into the show. Hey, Christia, welcome to the show. 
Hi, Michelle. How are you? Thanks so much for having me today. I am so excited to learn more about your story. You're like a real life superwoman to me. And it's so funny because I've seen your products at Target. And then here you are, and I get to dive into the story with you. So you graduated from Harvard. You got your law degree at Harvard. And then you went in-house at Oracle after working at a law firm, which that's my background, actually. I did marketing for a law firm for over a decade. So I I know that life. Um, And then in 2006, you launched Thank God It's Natural, and you've grown a multi-million dollar company with products sold at Target, Whole Foods, Sally Beauty, Walmart, and Walgreens. I'm just intrigued. So you have to start, take us into the story, jump back as far as you feel is relevant and tell us how you got into the natural beauty space. Awesome. So, I mean, you gave a great overview, but like I tell people the story really begin when I was at Harvard. That was in the, I don't want to date myself, but who cares? In the late nineties, early two thousands. And back then when I was in school, entrepreneurship was literally for the weird kids who could not figure their lives out. Like they were the people who couldn't get jobs on wall street or didn't get in like medical school or law school. And so when I was at Harvard growing up back then, the definition of success was like I said, these three career paths or working in a large corporation with a fancy name. So like a Disney, you know, an IBM, something or a Ford, a general Motors, something that, you know, people could identify with, not a little niche beauty brand, um, if you will. Mm. So when I graduated um, from Harvard College, I ended up going to Harvard Law School and, you know, starting down this path because that was what I saw. And it's funny, when I was starting my first law firm job, I was having a little bit of a hair dilemma, meaning like I had recently cut off all of my hair because I had been chemically straightening it for like pretty much all of my life as a black woman, like most black women did in the the, the 80s, 90s, mm-hmm. once relaxers came on the scene, um, to have this straight hair, to be more professional, to be more beautiful. This is what kind of like Main Street considered to be beautiful, if you will. Mm. But when I was graduating, I was like, eh, this was around the time when organic became really big, but like was still very underground, still very California. You're on the West Coast, if you will. Mm-hmm. And it just didn't feel right that I was putting these toxic chemicals on my head. It's painful, expensive. I was like, this sucks. Let me try something <laughs> different. Exactly. But the issue was back then, there were very few products for textured hair, kinky, curly, or wavy in mainstream retail. Everything was like a straightener or how to blow dry your hair or just how to maintain your straight hair. Mm. And so when I started my first law firm job, which was here in Chicago at a major firm where Barack and Michelle Obama met, Mm. I was like at a loss, like, how am I going to wear my hair to work? So I opted to wear a wig thinking if I look more professional, have the straight hair, people are going to give me more opportunities. Yeah. Well, it's funny at the end of that first year job, my, my boss took me aside and was like, you don't have what it takes to be a lawyer here. Like, and I was like, wait, I've worked so hard. I've been so diligent, what have you. And I've made these sacrifices to my appearance in order to like fit this mold. Mm-hmm. How could someone be telling me? And so the seeds then were planted, meaning like, I was like, you know what? I'm never going to compromise, you know, who I am as a black woman in corporate America ever again. I'm not doing this wig thing and I'm going to figure this thing out. 
for myself. So what that looked like was I ended up doing this research, thinking I was going to write a book, um, ended up writing the book and went on to be a bestseller, took me across the country, around the world, different churches, bookstores, farmers, markets, whatever, you know, hair shows. If you have talking to women with curly hair about how to love their curls. (laughs) And then basically people were like, we're in love with this book. We're in love with your personality. When are you going to launch the products? And Mm. that was the beginning of thank God it's natural. Now I'll be honest, you know, they say an overnight success is 10 years in the making. And it's Mm -hmm. so true. When I launched those products, I was, or it was in that process. I was scared. I didn't know what I was doing. And so that's kind of how I got from having a problem to starting the company or starting the process of working on the company. I don't want to go too far. It depends on how far you want me to go, but that's kind of where that was kind of the beginning of the business, wow. if you will. Well, I definitely think you are a pioneer because you hear a lot about clean beauty and green beauty products now, but not then. Definitely not then. I mean, you no, were definitely like, on the, the forefront of something that hadn't even, there was no awareness or demand for. Right. So like, you know, like nationwide, like, you know, things like Bert, back then, like Burt's Bees and Tom's mm. of Maine were around, but they were like, the pioneer pioneers, you know what I'm saying? And then maybe some mom and pops, you know, in Vermont or like, you know, in California or whatever, but largely middle America, meaning like, you know, your Midwest, your Texas, the South, they were not part of this lifestyle. Even the East coast, like this was not like a widespread commercial thing like it is today. Like the desire for these clean products or natural products. Well, Christia, what did you start with? Did you start with hair product or did you start with a line of products? How did you approach it? So that's a great question. So basically back then, I didn't, like you said, I didn't know how big of a risk this thing was going to be, or if this was actually going to get off the ground. And so what I did was I created a collection of five products, two of which I worked with a chemist on at a professional facility where they had like a minimum of like a thousand pieces. And then those were like stylers because stylers are a lot more difficult to work with because of different holding properties, Mm -hmm. if you will, for curls and gels and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And then I said the shampoos and conditioners and deep conditioners, I'll try to make myself because there were like bases on the internet that you could use and you could kind of customize these bases, if you will. So I, like I said, I started with these five products, the stylers took off. And once they took off, I was like, I've got to get this other stuff that I like made, which was like, like it wasn't bad and it wasn't amazing. It was like a little bit better than good. It was like a B. I was like, cause I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't want to pour everything into everything, all my money mm-hmm. and the cut, the market rejected it. But as soon as I had an, an indication that this thing was going to take off, I quickly got that shampoo and that conditioner together. The deep conditioner, the chemist, it's taken us a long time, literally almost five years to figure out how to make that, wow. um, if you will, like at a contract manufacturer. But the point is when I was first getting started, I, could, I didn't put my chips all the way in financially on the entire line. Like I said, I picked two things out of five um, and that's how I got it off the ground. Wow. Okay. So this is such a good story. So but now I'm just curious too. Okay, so you started with all of, you know, the the shampoo and conditioner. This was before social media. <laughs> so how did you go to stores? How did you try to actually get the product launched to consumers? Well, the thing about it is 
to be honest, it was actually like right at the beginning of social media. media. Meaning like I was at Harvard when Facebook took off back in like 03. And say I launched the products like 10 years later. But like Facebook, to be honest, was really taking off around 2009, 2010 when I launched the book. Like back then there was no paid ads. Everything was organic. They were just trying to grow their user base. So from 2009, when I had this book to 2013, we were building this following, this grassroots following of people. And when I launched the product in 2013, you could still get a lot of reach out of social without paying for it. And for that reason, we were able to connect with customers. We were able to like, you know, expand our reach, get the attention of retailers and make a splash that you ordinarily would not be able to make mm-hmm. in an era where people advertise in magazines or on television or what have you. Like we were still in this era, if you will, between mobile screen, desktop, and like TV screen. Whereas today we're all on our cell phones all the time. Yeah. And so it's definitely been critical to our success, particularly as a niche and indie brand. Yeah. And so I'm sure a lot of it was word of mouth then at that time, you know, with Facebook helping, but then like you said, there were no ads. So women were telling their friends, you need to try this product or these products. Absolutely. And even to this day, word of mouth is still so huge for us. Like, you know, you go back and forth between how do you tap into that and how do you build a community and how do you have your loyal followers tell people, but sometimes it really is organic. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, and it's hard to, word of mouth is a little challenging to measure, but it's been very big in what it is we do and how successful we've been to date. How did you come up with the name? Thank God it's natural. So when I was, you know, relaxed and finally made this transition to cutting my hair off, even though I was at a loss of what to do with it. Like when I had straight hair, if anyone gets a blowout or relaxer, they know like you're limited. Like you don't want to sweat because it's going to frizz up (laughs) or you don't want to go out in the rain because again, it's going to frizz up or if it's humid, it's going to frizz up. And so when I finally just, like you said, embraced my curls for what they were, Mm -hmm. like the frizz was good. Like there was no, my life revolves around a blowout or my life revolves around a relaxer. It was just like, I can get up. This is what my hair is doing. And it's working for me right now. Mm. And I'm laughing because of course, if you have a curly hair, you know that any amount, you can get that beautiful blowout and then any amount of humidity can ruin it. Yeah, in minutes. exactly. Yeah. So that's where I came up with the name. Like finally, like, thank God I'm natural. Like this is how God made me. I'm good with it. Like all my life I've been trying to avoid this and I'm just okay with it. So yeah. I love it. I love it. Um, okay. So you've been in business how long then now? How long is it? Oh been? my God. It's scary to even think about that because you think about like, if I knew I was going to, if it was going to take me this long or I would be doing this for this long, <laughs> would I like have signed up for it? So the thing about it is I would say the book launched in 2009, but I started working on it in 2006. Mm. So that's close to 14 years. Wow. The hair care line has been around since 2013, which oh. is about seven years. And when you go into these things, like to be honest, even when you read those stories like about Burt Bees or these big companies that like like blow up, it never, it's like 20 years. It's like yeah. 25 years or something like that. Like, And I think that's kind of 
not to say our story, but yes, our story where it just becomes a snowball. Like you do all of this work in the very beginning. Mm. It's super hard. And you finally get to a place where you're like, oh my God, my hard work. Like I'm not the one doing everything anymore. Like I'm not like, you know, you know, taking out the trash and sending out the orders and putting the labels on things and working on presentations. You're like, I have people doing this for me now. And my job is to show up and like, just say, Hey, do it this way or good job. And so that feels really amazing. Yeah. You're a CEO. It is. It's amazing. So how many people are working for you now? It varies because we have a lot of contractors and gig workers as well, Mm -hmm. which has also been very critical to our success. I would say about full time, we have about eight people. And with contractors put in, we have like 20 people because when you do like with a brand that's CPG or like consumer Mm -hmm. marketing or beauty, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of components like video, graphics, you know, design, web. And those people end up really become part of your team, Hmm. meaning like they're putting in 15, 20 hours a week on your brand. So they're not full-time employees, but they still like, they're literally like a major team member. So like, it's like 20 when you throw in all of these contractors, if you will. Yeah, no, that's great. Now you've you've referenced your book. Now I know that you, and I, and correct me if I'm wrong, if this was the recent book, but, um, and we're going to get into, I want to get into your story because I know you were diagnosed with breast cancer in 2015 and you wrote a book. Um, this is only a test. What breast cancer taught me about faith, love, hair, and business. So mm-hmm. what was, was there, there was a book before that, right? Right. What book was that? What was the one that launched? So that was, no, that's a great question. So that was, thank God I'm natural, the ultimate guide to caring for natural hair. Ah. And then the second one, like you said, was about, is this is only a test what breast cancer taught me about faith, love, hair, and business. Okay. So you're, your business is taking off. Your work, I mean, anyone who's got a startup knows how much work goes into that. And then mm-hmm. in 2015, you're diagnosed with breast cancer. Can you take us into your story and how it was diagnosed and, and you know, if you wrote this book, clearly there's a message you want to be sharing about this experience. Absolutely. So I tell people 2015 was the best, one of the best years of my life and one of the worst years. So on March 1st of 2015, we got our big break and launched in 250 Target stores nationwide. That was huge and a lot of work, but also in hindsight, very, very stressful, both before and afterwards. Nine months later, I would be diagnosed with breast cancer, um, very early stage, if you will, Mm -hmm. for the first time. I know that sounds crazy Mm -hmm. for the first time. And so then how would I put it? I learned about it just, and I was young, I was 36 at the time. Mm -hmm. And I learned because I just had a lump. I found it in the breast um, while I was showering. I ignored it for a little bit. And eventually I was like, this isn't going away, getting bigger, getting smaller. I don't know. I just thought it was hormonal. And when I went to get a mammogram at the advice of my OBGYN, they ultimately discovered, you know, after doing a biopsy and an ultrasound that it was breast cancer. Mm. And so the following year, like I said, this is December of 2015, this uh, January 2016, you know, through basically September of 2016, I undergo cancer treatment, chemotherapy, radiation, freezing my eggs, a lumpectomy. And I pulled back from the company. Mm. And during this time when I literally slowed down was when the company started to take off like a rocket. So we had launched in Target the prior year. But that year when I was literally like at 30% Mm. 
for the company. And I was working a job at Oracle and I took a leave of absence from there. Wait, wait, Our wait. Company. You were working full time at Oracle at that time? Yeah. When you, oh, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. I had a side hustle. TGIN was my side hustle. Oh, was your, like, you're when kidding I, like, me. Yeah. Yeah. It was crazy. It was my side hustle. So I was doing it while I was working full time as a lawyer in corporate America. It's insane. Okay, so that's, part of, that. that's okay. part of the story in terms of why I probably ended up with, you know, breast cancer. I was so stressed. I didn't realize I was stressed. So during this period, I'm laying on my couch, leave of absence from Oracle, 30% TGIN. We get in all these stores. We get in the Sally's, CVS, Walgreens, Whole Foods, and it's like, and Rite Aid. And when I was done with cancer treatment, I took a trip to Bali. And when I came back from Bali, I went back to my job at a major software company, if you will. And when I came back, I made it up in my mind that I was, how would I put this, that I was leaving that job, if you will. Hmm. So long story short, I wrote the book because for me, when I look back on my life, you know, the Harvard College, the Harvard Law School, starting this multi-million dollar company, juggling a side hustle with a multi-million dollar company, I realized from breast cancer, especially like I said, with the success that we were having when I slowed down, that I really needed to rethink how I was living my life. Meaning like you call me a superwoman when I was, you know, when we first started this call and I realized like sometimes I have to take off my cape because it's like, you've got to, you've got to slow down to speed up. And so sometimes we have this unhealthy obsession with success for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. And for me, I was like, you know what, I've got to really flip the script on being so driven and really focus on living my life. But part of the reason I think, and I talk about this in the book, that I was so driven was because I lost my mom at a very young age, like at 17, like right before my freshman year at Harvard. Mm. And the work was literally my way of covering up my grief for like my entire adult life. And Mm. so that, you know, led me to write the book because a lot, you know, surprisingly, you know, this is a great show. Like I know it reaches out to a lot of people, but a lot of people, unfortunately or fortunately are going to end up with cancer at some point in their life. Mm. And my message to them is one, you have to get to the root of the problem. The medical profession generally treats things like the symptoms, but they don't get to the underlying cause. Mm. And I think that's part of the message in the book, as well as kind of, this was my entrepreneurial journey this is what I wish would have been different. And here's how my life on the other side, when it came to managing stress and self-care has, you know, propelled me forward and the changes that I've made as a result of this experience. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of why I decided to write the book. Wow. It was really for my own personal, like reminder to myself, like, don't go back to the way that you, things used to be, if you will. Now, did you leave Oracle? At what point did you leave? Well, I didn't tell you is this part of the story. Before I left the Bali, I got two emails. Like they didn't really check my email when I was out for nine months. But before I left for Bali, I got two emails at Oracle. One was from, you know, company wide, some high up executive had died randomly on a business trip. And then the second was an email of a woman who had died of breast cancer, the legal department. And I was like, if the universe is telling me it's time to quit, like 
this is this is my my cue right here because I had wrestled with it for so long. Mm-hmm. Meaning my job at Oracle, it was demanding, but it was virtual. Mm-hmm. And so I was able to really juggle my side hustle because I could work from home and I could work on the hours that I wanted to work. And I kept putting off quitting. I don't know if I was scared or comfortable, or I just believed I could do it all. And seeing those two emails were what really caused me to quit. But I quit April 2017. And then that was really when the company really, really took off because I literally was all in, Mm. all the way in. Yeah, that makes, it makes so much sense. And I think, yeah, it's interesting. I wonder if there was a part of you that was staying for, yeah, the, 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 the perceived security of it because your company, your company, DGIN was thriving. Exactly. We had hit a million dollars in revenue, which is not, you know, like, like they say, 2% of women owned businesses actually crossed that threshold. And I did that with a full-time job. So I was like, Hey, I got this. Let me, but the point is there's a certain thing. People kept telling me you have to eat, sleep and dream this. And I'm like, I'm already doing that. I'm working so hard. How much harder can I work than this? And I found out that when I quit, I actually, I was still working hard for maybe like 18 months, Mm. but then things just started to fall in place. And I literally was just able to think about it, my full attention mentally. Mm. And I think that was when it really struck. I was able to start, I was able to start working smarter, not harder. Mm. When I was working at Oracle, I was working harder. When I started working and quit my job and just working on TGI in full time, I was able to really be strategic about what it was we were doing because I was working smarter. Like I had complete purview into like what everyone was doing. I was more present, everything like that. So yeah. Totally. And I think, you know, there's so much overhead with companies too. So even when you're hitting that seven figure mark, I think people don't realize there's like so many expenses. So to get to that level where it's like very profitable for yourself personally takes even longer. Is that right? Absolutely. So I always tell people, and I'll try to simplify this, it takes a million and a half dollars to make a million dollars. Meaning like, like basically, if, even if you hit the million dollar mark, you still need to make more money than a million dollars because it the, the amount of money it takes to scale and grow a business. So every time we would grow, we needed more money to get yeah. to the next level. Yeah. So like, it was like, success was like a blessing and a curse. So it's like, okay, you launched in 250 doors in Target, you made a million dollars, but you were so successful. Now you're in 500 doors and now you need to go find an extra $500,000 <laughs> to get into the 500 doors. Right. You get what I'm saying? So I it totally was like, do. And so for in our case, to be honest, and someone told me this in the beginning and I didn't believe them, but now I understand. And this isn't true of all businesses. They're like, once you had $5 million in beauty, then things start to like, you start to really make money, meaning your net income, yeah. there's there's more like you're not using your profits, all of you're not using all of your profits to get to the next level, yeah. if you will. Yeah. And so I think just for the women out there that are listening, just talk to people in the industry that you're working in or thinking of going into and just be like, at what point? I think that's a very good question to ask people. At what point? Were you able to take distributions from your net income mm-hmm. where you didn't have to reinvest it in the company? Mm-hmm. That type of thing. What advice would you give, Christia, to a woman who, well, maybe she's got that side hustle or been thinking about it or just really wants to start? 
I think, you know, it's interesting because I see that there's women who have made it to your level. And then there's the women who are, uh, there's a lot of traction, but no accelerate, like it's not moving. And so I'm curious, what, what advice can you give? Well, I think for the people who are starting out, what I learned, not quickly, but now I know now, is the best information is in other people's heads. Meaning like, Google is great. And there's a lot of content out there. There's a lot of YouTube and you have to do your research. But I learned that actually talking to people who've already done what you've done or being in, going into the industry or going to different trade shows, like when you can get in front of people, even if it's for 15 or 30 minutes, things that would take you two, three years to figure out, they can help you get there so much faster in like five to six months with one conversation. So one of my first pieces of advice for people who are starting out is to definitely Tap into other people's kind of, you know, brain, if you will. I think other things is know your numbers. I am very creative, but I'm also very analytical. I've always hated like numbers when it comes to the business, yeah. but it's critical because it tells you what's happening. And so for some of the people who may be stuck, that may be a clear indication of why are we not moving? Is it like a revenue issue? Is it an expense issue? Right. If it's an expense issue, you can like cut things. If it's a revenue issue, maybe you need to pivot or start digging deeper into like, maybe it's your social media analytics or how long people are visiting your website or, you know, customer traffic or what have you, or, you know, skew productivity. The point is numbers tell the story and they do not lie. And if you dig deep enough into them, you'll get a clearer picture of what is going on with your business. And then I think the third thing I would say is early on, you want to cross your T's and dot your I's as much as possible. Because when that business really does start taking off, mm. like you don't have the time for things to be perfect. Good enough is going to have to be good enough. And so in the beginning, I was very clear about setting that standard so that the people who were like on the front lines knew how I wanted things done because there would be a time further down the line where it was just like, I don't have the time to like coach and train people the way I did, you know, back in 2013, if you will. Yeah. So take that time when you're cultivating and, and training in the beginning to be as, you know, detailed as possible. And then I think one last thing, the best investment you can make if you can afford it is in your people. Like mm. hands down, that is where you're going to see the greatest ROI in your business. Oh my God, it's all such good advice. And did you ever consider getting outside funding or do you have any outside funding or is this all just growth and reinvesting in the company? It's growth and reinvesting in the company. And there's a lot of ways, you know, to grow a company, whether it's debt, whether it's finance, whatever, you know, equity or taking um, the profits and plowing them back into the business. We've actually used debt in the sense of like, I have an SBA loan. Mm -hmm. It's not that large and a line of credit if you will. And it's been great. I know, you know, I tell people equity is very sexy. Um, it's how it gets you on the cover of magazines and, you know, a lot of people write articles about equity, but it's also very, very expensive. And sometimes it often comes with a lot of strings attached. Mm -hmm. So it's just important to be mindful of it. We've been able to get this far, like I said, literally just relying on like an SBA loan, um, if you will, in company profits. And so that's been great. But it's not to say at one point in the future that I would not rule out taking on outside investment. But a gentleman told me once, think of your company as a, as a $100 million company and every percent you give away as being worth a million dollars. Wow. So 
I've taken that to heart. Yeah, for sure. And where where's the company going? Like where? So how many? Like, tell us about your product line and where you see it going. So right now, products are we. You know, we have three collections: a moist collection, a repair collection, the Miracle Repair collection, and a new lightweight collection for like you know wavier and finer textures. Products can be found at Target, Ota. Walmart, if you will. And where we see the brand going is just continuing to focus on our message, continuing to own the curly hair space, um, eventually venturing into skincare. I'm working on a line right now, if you will, but like my team loves everything and anything beauty. And so to the extent that we can kind of expand our footprint, we will, but like hair is our thing. Like we love hair. We love curls. We want women to love their curls. And so like we want women to fall in love with their curls. And so that's kind of what we do. I think that's great. And I think any woman with curly hair says thank you, <laughs> including myself, because we want to love our curls. We don't want to be at odds with our hair anymore. Um, so I'm curious, Christia, what systems do you implement to foster your success? Because every successful female entrepreneur I brought on seems to have some sort of systems in place. Um, anything come to mind? I, I mean, that I'm might be a laughing. Broad yeah. I'm laughing. So I think, okay, this is a great, but you know what? I appreciate this because when you add, whenever I hear women answer these questions, I'm like, oh my God, I love what she said. Like, you don't feel like you have to always have it figured out. Everyone feels like what they're doing is not working or whatever. But sometimes when people hear that one little nugget, they're like, I can apply that. Mm -hmm. So for me, what systems do I have? I try to keep my top priorities visual all the time when I'm in my home office, meaning like my 90 day goals are up on my wall. I know this is like very basic, but the top five, top five priorities for marketing are taped to my desk. So it helps to focus me because I'm very creative. I'm very passionate. And when I see my goals, I'm like, that is exactly what I'm supposed to be working on. That's one. I always make a to-do list um, to the extent that I can every single day. I, I keep kind of it on my computer and I print it out as a way, once again, of reminding me of how my, you know, that my to-dos are tying to my top goals. And then this year, even though I had an assistant before, I never believed that anyone could manage my calendar but me. Yeah. And this year I turned that over to someone and it actually is working like because I'm not as in, she's not as indecisive. She's not thinking about things the way I would think about them. I give her guidelines and she just follows them and things show up on my calendar and she respects and space things out. But when I was managing my calendar for years, it would be like, oh, when am I going to do this? Is it going to be Wednesday at two or Tuesday at three? Like I had too many choices and she has eliminated that type of thinking for me. And I appreciate that. So that has been a major time saver for me this year and has increased my productivity as well. Cause I get more done. I can meet with people. I can book podcasts because she just gets it done. It's not all of this thought. She just gets it done. And I think that's so helpful because I think it's hard sometimes to let go. So that's great advice. And the fact that you were resistant and then you did it and it works is also helpful to hear. Um, so um, Christia, one more question. Can you please leave the women listening with your three best tips for living a good life? Oh my God. That's a good one. I think my first one is, oh my goodness. I love this. I think my first one is you have to be intentional. 
Meaning like, especially the older you get, because whether it's kids, marriage, a business, you know, more responsibility on your job, you have to be intentional about like what brings you joy to the extent that you like write it down and you're like, you like, you know what these things are. You have it like readily available. Like even on like my desk, I'm intentional about these are the girlfriends that I want to stay in touch with during Corona. So like, I think one, you have to be intentional about your life be out outside of work, outside of family, outside of husband. So anything that brings you joy or that's for you, because it often falls to the bottom of the list, you have to be intentional about. I think that's the first thing. The second thing is like, trust the timing of things. Meaning like when I was younger, I think a lot of women as well, that we worry about so many things in our 20s and 30s about whether things are going to happen or whether things are not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And we just like are fraught with worry. And by the time I got to 40, I was like, oh my gosh, I really could care less. Like <laughs> half of the things that I worry, not even 99%, they say like literally most of the things you worry about never even manifest. So my message to the women out there listening is like, whatever you're worrying about, literally just trust the timing of your life and that the universe will like support you and bring you all the good that you want. And then I think my third thing is just like, oh my goodness. I think my third thing is, I know this is going to sound really basic, but get good sleep. I know that's like so basic, but like recently I made small changes to my bedroom where I was like, I put up blackout blinds. So it was like completely dark, dark at night. And I like, I love candles. So like, I like try to make my bedroom an oasis before it's even bedtime. And it's like, it just calms me. I think it's such, we spend so much time there that like we should really give, you know, a lot of love to that space. So that would be my third tip. I know kind of random, but I get a lot of, you know, I feel good about it since I really started making that a priority. I love that. I think that's amazing advice and one that we all need to be doing more of, especially the sleep. Where can I direct people to learn more about you and your products? Where where can I send them? Awesome. So basically to learn more about me and the products, you can check out our website, thankgodisnatural.com, or you can follow me on Instagram at TGI Natural or on LinkedIn or Facebook at Christia Donaldson. Products, again, can be found at Ulta, Target, Sally's, Whole Foods, if you will. So yes. Yes, I will link to all of that. And I've loved this conversation so much. You're so heartfelt and passionate about what you do. And it's so amazing to see the growth. And I'm definitely going to try something to moisturize these girls. (laughs) We'll get you something out, Michelle. Absolutely. (laughs) You're awesome. Thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on today. I've decided to extend my offer of my book for free through the month of May. And if you know of somebody who would benefit from reading Design a Life You Love, A Woman's Guide to Living a Happier and More Fulfilled Life, feel free to direct them to thegoodlifecoach.com. It's actually a great book too for young women who are graduating college or just starting out in their careers. It covers life, love, body, career, relationships, and simplicity. If this interview resonated with you and you know of somebody who would benefit from the information, please do take a second to share it. Thank you so much for tuning in today and I look forward to reconnecting with you next Wednesday. Bye for now.